Today's scripture reading is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, verses 10 to 12. It will first be read in the NIV, then in the message. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? If you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. Rescue the perishing. Don't hesitate to step in and help. If you say, hey, that's none of my business, will that get you off the hook? Someone is watching you closely, you know. Someone not impressed with weak excuses. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I know it's a little bit dark today. We had some issues. And if it's not too dark for you and you can see my face, I am smiling. <laughs> and I am smiling because you are here. Uh, because you're here despite of the road closures of the day, despite the gloomy weather, you are here. And it's a good thing that you are with us, that we are together this morning. And I'm also smiling because I get to pray and pray for and introduce our guest preacher today. Uh, Gustavo is a management consultant. Uh, that serves mission-driven organizations in their strategic challenges. In 2015, he moved from Sao Paulo, Brazil, one of the biggest cities in the world, to Vancouver with his wife, Andrea, uh, to pursue a master's degree in theology at Regent College. I actually met him during that stage of his life when he was also serving as the program manager of a very innovative uh, new program at Regent, at Regent College. I know that uh, Gustavo's contribution was instrumental in the success of that program. He is currently pursuing his PhD, I feel your pain and your joy. He's currently pursuing a PhD in theology at the Free University of Amsterdam, where his research focuses on developing a decolonial theology of work. He lives in Surrey at the Arosha Brooksdale Conservation Center with Andrea and with their cherished dog, Mocha. So please welcome, uh, come with us so I may pray with you for you, Gustavo. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, open our hearts to your word today. Uh, give us the gift of uh, wisdom. Give us fellowship. Give us understanding. We pray for Gustavo that you will uh, speak through him, that you will allow him focus and clarity as he delivers the message. Thank you for his life and the many lives that he has impacted. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, 
I um, always, when people ask me to preach again, I always think, well, they either liked it or they're giving me another chance to get it right this time. So I'll get it, I'll try to get it right this time. Um, we're talking about wisdom and we're talking about the ingredients for a good life. So can you name them for me now? We just, we just did this a few minutes ago. First one, steadfast love. Second one, honor God and do not trust yourself. And third one, use of our resources. Great. We're, we're good. Good shape. Um, before I, I start, I just wanted to ask you a few things. Um, just a show of hands, and I'll ask you to show hands, and then I, as I move through the questions, if, if your answer is no, you just put your hand down, okay? So who likes food? <laughs> nice. Okay, stay there. Okay, stay there. Who likes cooking or the you know, the, the process of cooking. Okay. Who likes cleaning up? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Thank you, David, for setting me up so well for this. You can put your hands down if you put them up. Okay. Cleaning up. That's great. So as everybody, almost everybody likes it, I, um, I wanted to talk to you about this arguably the least favorite part of participating in a, meet, in a meal. And the way we're talking about this today is we're trying to connect stewardship, which is part of the, the, the third ingredient, with interdependence. Another way of saying this is how do we use the things we have and the access we have, the power, the privilege, the money, the time, everything we have, in a way that makes sense because we are connected to other people, right? So we are trying to put those things together. And the metaphor of cleaning up is, is a good one for this. And here's my argument for you. I want to argue, and I'm not sure if you agree with me, but like we have time later maybe to talk about it. But I would like to argue that cleaning up or the act of cleaning up is connected somehow to hope. The act of cleaning up or engaging in cleaning, up, cleaning something up, particularly after a meal, has a connection, direct connection to hope. Let me, let me try to explain why I think this is true. Well, first of all, when you, I mean, remember when you were kind of, I don't know, like maybe a teenager and you would ask your, your parents, why do I have to make my bed if I'm coming back again tonight? <laughs> have you heard that before? <laughs> Dad, I don't want it. I'm going to be back here tonight. You know, like that kind of thing. Why? Why, why is that so difficult? Because young folks in general, very young folks, not, not the young folks are here, but like other young folks, <laughs> usually think in the present only. They think about like everything that's happening is going to happen now. So why bother about tomorrow or this, you know, I, I'm going to be back. So don't worry about it. So there's no sense of future in that, in that kind of phrase or way of thinking about. So the point is, every time you clean up, we are actually preparing ourselves in whatever we engage with 
for the next time or the next thing or the next step or the next phase or the next meal, right? On the other hand, if you think about it, and I'm not sure if you're like that, but like me, when I, when I am not well internally, my life outside me is also not well. And you can tell. And that means that I don't clean up as often. I don't fold the clothes as often. I don't put things away as often. I don't prepare. Because there's no sense of future. There's no hope. There's no clarity that something good is going to happen after this. So in the same way that we prepare for the future, we prepare for what's coming next, and we kind of nurture somehow hope in the same way our internal world might reflect that when we have uh, the external world, you know, a little bit messy. So those things kind of go hand in hand. Not sure if you're convinced, but I'll give you another example. I was watching... uh, Two nights ago, we were watching a movie that was a nominee for the Oscars this year, uh, The Society of Snow. Have you seen it? Society of Snow. My wife, okay, was with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'll give you, I'll give you like a very short kind of version of it. Um, and it's not spoiler because the story happened in 1971. So everybody knows what happened, okay? So it's not a spoiler. But... What happened was um, a, a, a plane was flying from um, um, Uruguay to Chile, and they were have like to go over the the Andes, which is like the the imagine like the Rockies but bigger, right? And it, it, they and they the 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 plane fell like you know crashed, but people survived. They survived the crash, and not, not everybody, but like a, a lot of people survived. And as time went by, and, and they, they somehow managed to hear on the radio that like the, the search for them was over because they're like too, much, too, too long, and they, they quit the search. They stayed there, the, the ones who survived, they stayed there for 71 days in the wilderness, snow, when they got the news that they were, they were going to be rescued, the very first thing they do in the movie, at least, I'm not sure if that was true, but like in the movie, that's very clear. They started cleaning up. <laughs> they went like, to, they found like a toothbrush. They, find, they started cleaning up, you know, like, you know, can, can you imagine like 71 days without a shower? And then you start kind of <laughs> you know, doing this, like, you're not going to be that good. But like, it, it's just like the, the impulse because there was a future. There was a future. Now, let me, let me connect this to something a little bit closer to home. Like, not necessarily, you know, Chile or Uruguay. But, like, I, I wanted to tell you about something that's very concrete. And it has shown up, like, in my, my own research and my own work these days. Which is a very specific um, type of activity that gives us hope without us noticing or giving the value of it. So when we're talking about cleaning up, there's, like, there's a group of people in this city and in, in many, many parts of the world, 
actually all parts of the world, that work and offer their bodies so that we can have hope the next day. And we're talking about domestic workers. By domestic workers, I mean cleaners, people who go to our houses to clean our houses, nannies, people who take care of our babies and toddlers and small children, and caregivers, people who can take care of our vulnerable, loved ones, seniors. So those three categories, like, you know, I'm putting it under this umbrella of domestic workers. Their situation is usually, usually very, very vulnerable in many, many ways. In the world, we have around 75 million people that are considered domestic workers. 75 million people. And only 6% of that, 6% of that are people who have rights, are people who have like some kind of social security, are people who have like some kind of net or security net to protect them from those vulnerabilities. So they are usually under very precarious conditions. That means they are on the edge of poverty very often. They are very often as well under some kind of pressure. I'm going to talk more about that. And it's hard to help them or hard to see because the, their workplace is actually our homes. It's, it's hard to audit something like that. It's hard to, to say what's going on like inside homes. So I just wanted you, you guys to, to have like this, this picture in your head. And what is interesting for me, and again, like this is part of my, has been part of my work as well, is the, the power, power dynamics or the power paradox, I would say, that we have with domestic workers. The paradox is this. They are, most of the time, invisible, socially invisible. We don't know their names. We don't know where they're coming from. I know they're probably, you know, from some, somewhere else. They might not speak the language. They might not, you know, be very articulate. They might. But still, or yet, they, they are the ones who we trust are most precious things in their hands. They're invisible, but they take care of our children. They're invisible, but they take care of our seniors. They're invisible, but they take care of our homes, our food. Isn't that interesting? And there's, a, there's another kind of an economic pressure there because I have seen sometimes parents or families having no problem paying thousands of dollars for private school for their kids, but they try to squeeze their nannies for $2 an hour. So that's something to think about. People who are working, as, in, as, as I said, offering their bodies so that we can have some hope in the future. The question I have is, they take care of us, but who's taking care of them? That's my question for us today. Now, 
Let's go back to our passage. Cut Proverbs. Let's read it again. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Ask you those being led away to death, hold back those staggering towards, towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does he who waits the heart perceive it? Not perceive it. And the message, same passage. If you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. Rescue the perishing. Do not hesitate to step in and help. If you say, that's none of my business, what that get you off the hook? Will that get you off the hook? If you say, that's none of my business, will that get you off the hook? So I think in this passage, I see at least three things that we can pay attention to as we reflect on cleaning up and people who are cleaning up for us and might not be seen as they should. The first thing is, the passage is very clear to tell us that we have a duty, we have an obligation, we have responsibility over people that are around us. Particularly those who are going under difficult situations. The vulnerable, people who are suffering, people who are somehow facing danger, people who are somehow facing death. They're using the word here. The word here is death. We have responsibilities toward those people. And the passage here is clear. Like it, 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 it talks about rescuing the perishing. Do not hesitate to step in and help. Whatever, whatever is the means you have. In whatever ways you can. You've got to do something about it. We're not necessarily thinking about solving all the problems of the world. But like if you know something and you see something. You are now responsible for that. The passage is telling us. So we have a duty, we have a responsibility, we have an obligation to see and look attentively. The second thing that I notice here is that excuses are just rejected. There's no, there's no way out. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but like, if you say, hey, that's none of my business, will that get you off the hook? Or if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who waits the heart perceive it? No excuses. Ignorance is not a way out anymore. It has never been, but now is even less. Do not say, I didn't know Oh, I don't, I don't see them. I don't, I know I don't, I don't have that kind of, well, you know now. I'm telling you. Excuses are not acceptable. And the reason why I believe that this is, this is true, like why the passage is so strong about not accepting excuses is 
that the real answer behind excuse is that we don't love enough. The real reason why sometimes we hit ourselves behind those excuses is that we don't have enough love for others. Last time I was here, I, I mentioned a, a quote by one of my favorite um, scholars, and I'll repeat it here because it's a very similar situation. Cornel West says, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. So excuses are not acceptable because what we're talking about really is the lack of love for others. And the third thing, if you're, you know, making notes, and I apologize for not giving you the notes uh, before, but I, I'm trying to be very didactic here so you can type like this, three points. <laughs> so the third point here, what we can see in the passage, I think, is that there will be consequences. And I was kind of very, um, how do I say this? I was a little bit concerned about bringing that up uh, because it's, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard for me to have like this, you know, uh, God or perception of God, you know, like, I'll be watching you. You know, like every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you, that kind of thing. No, sorry. So, but it is in the passage, isn't it? So as a preacher, I cannot do this with integrity if I don't mention it. Right? So here's the deal. I have no idea how these things work, okay? I have no idea how, how God brings justice, consequence, judgment. Is it the last day? Is it now? Is it later? Is it like in the, the big judgment day, there's going to be like a, you know, a kind of big screens showing our sin? No, you don't have that. I don't know how that works. What I know is that the passage is bringing that up for us, saying there will be consequences. From my understanding of Proverbs and the Old Testament in general, what that means is we're talking about wisdom all the time. And what that means is, Hey, I've lived a lot. I've seen a lot of things. This is usually how it goes. This is experience, the deep spirituality lived out through the years that brings things together in a form of a saying that tells the people who are being instructed by it that there are consequences. So regardless of how you, you think this whole justice, consequence, judgment thing is going to happen. Whatever the mode, whatever the structure, the schedule, whatever, there will be consequences. And that's what our tradition is telling us. That's what, you know, deep, spiritual, lived-out tradition is telling us through the scriptures. So we have a duty we have responsibility over those who are suffering around us. 
You may not see them, but they exist. I'm telling you now, they exist. Second, no excuses. No excuses. Because excuses will tell us that actually we do not love enough. And third, just remember there will be consequences. Regardless of how you think those things are going to play out, know there will be consequences. And that's not for, to make us afraid of anything. It's not about, it's not fear-based. It's actually because we are all connected. And if anybody is suffering, that brings us to suffer as well. So when I say that there will be consequences, it's not because of the punishment they were going to receive, but, but because everybody suffers when some of us is, are suffering. Okay? God bless you. Thank you. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.